Saul wanted to be valued by men. David wants to be valued by God. This is exactly the problem with our culture, especially in the, in the new social media age, right? We live for the audience of the world. You know, this is what cancel culture is all about. Um, we don't want to displease anyone on the internet. Twitter net is a, you know, the Twitterverse is a, is a horrible place because people no longer live for an audience of one. And the audience of one is God and what makes God happy. What, what would glorify God? Welcome to Uncaged Bible Study. We hope our name gives it away as we are looking to unleash God's word in its entirety from beginning to end and unlock the power within the pages of scripture. We aim to restore the authority of God's word in a world that has lost its understanding of doctrinal truths, as well as shed a light on how from the first page to the last page, the Bible is pointing us towards Messiah, our Savior, Jesus. So we hope you enjoy the Bible study today. And if you did, follow us or share the podcast to help us spread the word around the globe. And if you leave us a five-star review, that's a great way to let us know that you say amen and are impacted by what you've heard. So thank you for joining us on this journey. And in the words of Charles Spurgeon, the Bible is like a caged lion. It does not need to be defended. It simply needs to be let out of its cage. Let's unlock the cage together. So David has previously been sort of really, really scared of Saul. He's been a coward. He's been in hiding. He was running. Uh, But then he got a burst of bravery when he met up with a priest who joined his group. And from that point forward, David has been pretty brave and bold in his dealings with Saul and confident in his dealings with Saul. Uh, And his, his strength in God's word and God's promises has increased. But he's still on the run. He's still hiding from Saul because Saul is still Israel's king and Saul still wants to kill David. David has spared Saul's life up to this point once already. But yet, even though he's been so patient and so kind with Saul, his activity or his attitude towards others, such as Abigail's previous husband, was not so patient and so kind, and he went on the war path. So we've seen multiple sides of David's personality. He is very much a real human character. We see his flaws and his great strength and bravery and his cowardice, and tonight is no different. He has already spared Saul's life once, and now we're going to get into another story about Saul chasing David. Chapter 26, verse 1. Now, The Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah saying, is David not hiding in the hill of Hachilah opposite Jeshimon? Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. I think that that's an important verse or description. It's saying Saul is taking 3,000 chosen men. He's taking the best of the best of Israel's army with him to go chase down David. That's in stark contrast to what we hear about David earlier. David originally starts out with 400 men. His group grows to 600, but it's people who are scared, afraid, in debt. They're not the choice crop, but Saul has 
the choice crop. He has the USDA, you know, prime cuts. And that's who he's taking, and it's five times the number that, that David has. Now, Saul encamped in the hill of Hehila, which is opposite of Jeshimon by the road, but David stayed in the wilderness and saw that Saul had come after him into the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul had indeed come. This is one benefit of having a smaller group. It's easier to hide your numbers. But Saul has got 3,000 guys and David sees him coming. And now he knows for sure he sent out spies that Saul is coming after him. Verse five, so David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay and Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army, now Saul, and son of Ner, the commander of his army, now Saul lay within the camp with the people encamped all around him. So if you can picture this, Saul's in the middle and they're sleeping and people are just all around him. Like he's the target or the bullseye on a dartboard. This is to protect the king because Saul is the king. So he's in the least vulnerable position. He's in the center of, this, of these men to make sure that while they're sleeping, he is safe or at least the most safe. Just to give you an idea of the mission that is about to take place. Then David answered and said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, brother of Joab, saying, who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. This is, again, contrast. David is bold again. David's faith is in God. He's repented from his poor behavior. And now he's feeling confident and bold. And what does he say? Who's going to go down with me to Saul in the camp? Saul's in the center. He's in the bullseye of this dartboard of the people camped all around him. And he's willing to do it. And Abishai also seems to be pretty bold and says, David... I'll go. So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and there Saul lay sleeping within the camp with his spear stuck in the ground by his head. And Abner and the people lay all around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now, therefore, please let me strike him at once with the spear right to the earth and I will not have to strike him a second time. I think that's an interesting little moment, so I just want to repeat it and break it down a little bit. Again, one of David's men sees Saul in a vulnerable position, and for a second time, one of David's men tries to goad David into killing Saul. But Ab Abishai says something interesting, because last time David said, I will not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. So what does Abishai say? He says, look, God has delivered your enemy into your hand. So let me kill him. If you're not going to do it, let me do it. And I just think that that's interesting. And the spear is right next to him. But David said to Abishai, do not destroy him. For who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? This is David's thought process. This is David's heart. David has let, put it in his heart. He is not going to end Saul's life. He is not going to be the one to rain down judgment on Saul. He has given that to God. David has forgiven Saul for what he has done to him. And he is refusing to pour down his own judgment, which I think is interesting because the books of 1 and 2 Samuel, 
would read very differently. They would read like a Shakespeare tragedy if David decide, decided to take judgment into his own hands. It would be something like Macbeth, where he fought Goliath and he married the king's daughter and then he went and killed the king and took the throne over from him. Instead, David is very sensitive to God's will and God's law and is willing to put God's judgment in the hands of God rather than take it upon himself. And so he has decided, no, God's going to do it. Even my army, the people who are serving me and wish, wish to see the best for me, my, my men that are following me, I'm not going to allow them to, to put judgment out on Saul. It is God's to give. He says, who could possibly stretch out their hand against Saul and be guiltless? The only person who can do that is God because God is the one who gets the choice. So David said, furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him of his day. Uh, his day shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. Now, David predicts that future pretty accurately. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but please take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. Now, last time David caught Saul in a vulnerable position, he cut off the, the hem of his robe that sits it, which is a symbol of his authority on the hem of his robe that David cut off. And he felt remorse for doing that. Now this time, David takes Saul's spear and his jug of water. Those two things are very interesting. We already know that Saul was pretty much in love with his spear. He, he loved that thing. He had thrown it at David three times. He'd thrown it at, at Jonathan once. So we know it's with him all the time. Why do you think that is? It's because his spear, the big long weapon, would be the king's scepter, also a symbol of his authority. And the jug of water, water would represent life. So David is basically saying, I'm going to take your symbol of authority and I'm going to take what represents life to show you that your authority and your life was in my hands this night. That's what David is saying. And so uh, they were asleep and they, in the, let's see, verse 12. So David took the spear and the jug of water by Saul's head and they got away. And no man saw or knew it or awoke for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. This is, by the way, the same description in Hebrew as uh, when Adam was put into a deep sleep, deep sleep for Eve to be created. So this is a supernatural thing that God did to allow David to get this campaign and win this campaign because Saul is surrounded by 3,000 men and they're pulling a spear out of the ground and taking a jug of sloshing water away, right? You would hear that. One of 3,000 would probably hear that. So there is a supernatural sleep that has fallen on them that has given David this sort of victory. Now David went over to the other side and stood on the top of a hill afar off, a great distance between them. So he also went a long way with all of this. I just want to remind you, or at least put it into perspective, have you ever tried to be quiet in the middle of the night? It's not possible, right? A twig snapping sounds like a bomb going off in the middle of the night. Uh, we just had an overnight with the, the guys uh, for the youth group and they were playing uh, capture the flag in the building. And in the, you know, at late in the middle of the night, you can hear everything. 
every creek, every creaky floorboard, right? So God is doing something pretty special here, letting these guys get away with this. They're traveling a long distance, pulling a spear out of the ground in the sloshing water. Now, verse 14, David called out to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, do you not answer, Abner? So this is, this is funny. This is like David, a little bit tongue-in-cheek, a little bit sarcastic here. David calls out to the people, and to Abner specifically, the, the captain of the guard, right? The person in charge of protecting Saul. And he says, hey, Abner, what's up? And uh, Abner said, who are you calling out to the king? And so David said to Abner, are you not a man? And who is like you in Israel? So he's boosting his ego. Who, who is like Abner? You're Saul's right-hand man. So if that's the case, he goes on to say, why then have you not guarded your Lord, the king? For one of the people came in to destroy your Lord, the king. So after he lifts Abner's position up, points out he's, he's Saul's right-hand man. He's captain of the guard. He's the protector. He says, uh, why didn't you do your job? Verse 16, this thing that you have done is not good. Still speaking to Abner. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not guarded your master. The Lord's anointed. And now you see where the king's spear is and the jug of water that was by his head. Saying, look, his authority and his life could have been taken by me tonight because you did not do your job. Abner, I think that's the tone of voice he used. Abner, scoffing at him. And then Saul knew David's voice and said, is that your voice, my son David? And David said, it is my voice, my Lord, O king. And he said, why does my Lord thus pursue his servant? What have I done? What evil is in my hand? Now, therefore, please let my Lord, the king, hear the words of his servant. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is the children of men, may they be cursed before the Lord for they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. So I want to back up just a second. David is heard by Saul, and Saul recognizes him. And David basically says, as he's already pointed out, again, I could have killed you. Look, I have a symbol of your authority. I have a symbol of your life right next, it was right next to your head. I could have killed you, and I didn't. I'm your servant. Saul, why are you after me? And listen to David's humility. David doesn't accuse Saul of being evil. David actually says to Saul, if the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. He's saying, I have no ill will against you. I am not going to take your life. I could have twice now. I'm not going to. I am not going to bring judgment on you. So why are you chasing me? And just in case I am wrong, in case I have done something wrong, if God has actually put it on your heart to chase me for something I've done, let me give an offering to God. David is so humble, he's not even accusing Saul of evil, even though he hasn't done anything wrong. He's even willing to humble himself before Saul, who is in the wrong, and say, I will give an offering to God 
if I've done something to offend you, if God has any reason to give you to chase me. I love that about David. But his next sentence is, but if it is the children of men, may they be cursed before the Lord. This is really telling because David is, is putting something in Saul's ear that's really important. It's what has plagued Saul his entire reign. Saul started off pretty good, doing what God wanted him to do, listening to Samuel, the prophet. But not too long after that, Saul got very arrogant and prideful, and he is only concerned with temporary thinking, man's views of the world. And he, refu- he does not want to give up his power, even though it is only temporary. And so David is pointing that out. He's, he's getting in Saul's ear with the exact thing that is Saul's problem. You do not have eternity in mind, Saul. You do not have God in mind. You want to sit on God's throne. Think eternally, not temporarily. Verse 20, so now do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea when one hunts a partridge in the mountains. What's David saying? He's saying, I am insignificant. What is the point of chasing me? That's like chasing a flea. You'll never catch it in the wilderness. Do you imagine trying to catch one flea in the woods, in the mountains? It's not going to happen. David is saying, why are you putting so much effort into catching me when it's so insignificant to the overall picture for your life? And Saul said, maybe the most profound thing he's ever said in this, is in this verse. Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will harm you no more because my life was precious in your eyes this day. So Saul finally admits that he's wrong. He says, I have sinned. But then you get his reasoning. His reasoning isn't because he's sinned against God. His reason isn't because he's sinned against the law of Moses. His reasoning is, I've sinned because you were not going to harm me. Saul is still very me-centric in everything that he thinks. But at least he admits one thing. He finishes verse 21 with, Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. That sums up Saul's life. And it is unfortunate. And all he had to do was humble himself. And that wouldn't be the sentence written about Saul. Verse 22. And David answered and said, Here is the king's spear. Let one of the young men come over and get it. May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. And indeed, as your life was valued much this day in my eyes, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord and let him deliver me out of all tribulation or trouble. So David's response is the exact contrast of Saul's. Saul feels like he's sinned because he recognizes that David had pity on Saul. And he's happy that Saul... You know, Saul's happy that David would consider him valuable because 
Saul is concerned with his value and what people think of him, what men think of him, what power he has, who sits on his throne. He wants it to be him. David's response is, may my life be valued in the eyes of the Lord. Saul wanted to be valued by men. David wants to be valued by God. This is exactly the problem with our culture, especially in the, in the new social media age, right? We live for the audience of the world. You know, this is what cancel culture is all about. Um, we don't want to displease anyone on the internet. Twitter net is a, you know, the Twitterverse is a, is a horrible place because people no longer live for an audience of one. And the audience of one is God and what makes God happy. What, what would glorify God? If you want to be valued by God, that gets rid of all of the pressure of trying to be valued by the world. And so David really cuts to the heart of something that still exists today. It's still a problem today. Saul wants to be valued by men. He's a people pleaser. He wants people to see him. He wants people to see his power and his authority. David simply wants to be valued by God. That is a mentality um, that cuts to the heart of problems from the beginning of time to now. And uh, it's pretty profound. So Saul says to David, may you be blessed, my son David. You shall both do great things and also still prevail. So David went on his way and Saul returned to his place. So in a moment of clarity, Saul basically tells David he's going to prevail. And Saul is right. And these, I'm pretty sure the last words recorded that Saul and David speak to each other. Um, and it, the final moment is pretty honest. Saul actually tells the truth to David. He admits his sin. He admits his failure. But he also admits that he still wants to be seen highly in the eyes of men rather than God. And he tells David that David will prevail. Interestingly, with those being the parting words of David and Saul, that Saul is honest with David and he tells David that you will prevail. God will give you the things that he has promised you. David sinks back into his cowardice. In chapter 27, it says it right in the beginning. And David said in his heart, now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines and Saul will despair of me to seek me anymore uh, in any part of Israel. So I shall escape out of his hand. So David was brave. He was willing to go into an army of 3,000 men into the center of it. Not just 3,000 men, 3,000 of the best Israel has to offer to sneak up right next to Saul to take a spear and jug of water. And he confronts Saul. He tells Saul that he has no ill will towards him. Saul even leaves him with parting words saying, you're going to prevail. And then David gets in his own head in a moment of quietness and he listens to himself rather than God. And in his heart, he says, now I'm going to perish by the hand of Saul. Now, why, why do we do, we do that to ourselves, right? In our moments of quiet, we listen to the whispers. We listen to the voices that tell us we're never going to succeed, that we're never going to make it, that we're still going to fall into the sin trap that we struggle with or whatever the issue is. We do that. And David does this. 
Now, David has been told, David was anointed by Samuel to be the next king. David was told by Jonathan that he was going to be the next king. David was even told by Saul that he was going to be the next king. And David was told by Abigail that he was going to be the next king. So why does he do this? The Bible tells us in the book of Jeremiah that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. That's Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. So David looks into his own heart and what he sees is not what God has said. It's lying to him. Just like Jeremiah wrote, the heart is deceitful. Now, David's son, Solomon, later writes in the book of Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lead not on your own understanding. That's Proverbs 3, 5. So David has looked within himself. This is very much a part of the world that we live in today. Be your authentic self. Authenticity is the peak of moral good in our culture today. But what the Bible says about our authentic selves is that we have inherited sin from Adam. Ingrained in us is sin. No one ever had to teach a baby to be selfish. We are inherently sinful. Our authentic self is very egocentric and prideful. Authenticity is not the height of moral good. And authenticity led David uh, to this scary place. And so he says, there's nothing better for me. I'm going to escape. Verse two, David arose and went over with 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. So David is now in Gath, the city where Goliath is from, the man that David killed. So David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each man with his household. I'm sorry for the sound. There's nothing I can do. Um, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the Carmelites, Nabal's widow. It was told that Saul, uh, it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. So David is now in the land of the Philistines, in their capital, in the city that Goliath was from, and Saul doesn't chase him anymore. Um, because David is hiding. He believes that Saul's going to kill him. So this, it might have worked out for David that Saul's not going after him, but David was not doing what God had asked him to do. David was following his own heart and his own sinful heart. So David said to Achish, if I have found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him uh, Ziklag, that they therefore, uh, Ziklag has belonged to the king of Judah to this day. Just to give you an idea of what they're explaining, along the Gaza Strip, um, the main cities of uh, of the Philistines were up in the northern part of it. Uh, And they were mentioned before. Um, in early on in 1 Samuel, when the, when the ark was taken by the Philistines, the ark went to all of the different cities. So like Ashdod, Ashdod um, Gath, and a few of the other cities. <clears throat> They're all up in the northern part. This is down in the southern part of the Gaza Strip. So it's kind of a ways away. Just to give you just a, a mental picture. Uh, so Achish gave him Ziklag. 
and it belongs to, uh, to the kings of Judah to this day. Now, the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one full year and four months. And David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. For those nations were the inhabitants of this land from old, as you go to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. So, while David is in the land of the Philistines, while he's given land from the Philistines, he goes and he fights war against the other ancient Canaanites, the people who used to inhabit the land of Israel. So what is David doing? He's actually kind of playing both sides of the fence. He's serving the Philistine king that's giving him a hiding place by fighting these enemies, but they also happen to be enemies of Israel. So David is still kind of also doing Saul and the people of Israel a favor in this, just so you know what's happening. Whenever David attacked the land, he, ne he left neither man or woman alive, but took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the apparel, and returned and came to Achish. Then Achish would say, Where have you made a raid today? And David would say, Against the southern area of Judah, or against the southern area of Jerothmulites, or against the southern area of the Kenites. So this is what's happening. David is being challenged or not challenged, but questioned by the king of the Philistines, saying, I've given you this land down in the south. I've given you Ziklag. What are you doing with it? And David is telling him that he's fighting the Israelites. When we already know that that's not true, David's actually fighting the enemies of Israel, but he lies to the king of the Philistines. Why? Because David's not in a good place right now. David's listening to himself, and he's in self-preservation mode. He's thinking for himself, not for God. And so David, verse 11, would save neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, saying, lest they should inform on us, saying, thus David did, and thus was his behavior all the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. So Achish deceived David, saying, he has made his people Israel utterly abhor him, therefore he will be my servant forever. So David's lies that he's fighting Israel have led the king of the Philistines to believe that the Israelites must now hate David because he's fighting them for me. So there's no way David could ever possibly return to Israel. He's going to be my servant forever. Now we're going to look at the first two verses of 28 before we close. Now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. Now you see the problem? David's been lying to him about who he's fighting. He thinks that the Israelites hate David because he's been fighting them, when really he's been fighting the enemies of Israel. And now the king of the Philistines is gathering all of his armies together to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, You assuredly know that you will go out with me to battle. You and your men. Yikes. David's response. David says to Achish, Surely you know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Therefore I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. This doesn't work out. We'll find out why in the coming weeks. But David is put into a spot that he put himself in because he relied on his own understanding, not God's. 
He listened to his deceitful heart rather than God's word. David was given a clear, concise word. Now, he had heard from Abigail, he had heard from Saul, and he had heard from Jonathan that he's going to be the next king of Israel, that that was his. Now, all of those things ended up in Scripture. So he heard from the word of God that he was going to be the next king. But the most decisively and profound is that David literally spent time with Samuel where he was anointed as the next king of Israel. A prophet that he knew 100% was a prophet from God predicting his future. And by this time in his life, he understood what that future was, that he was going to be the next king. But rather than listening to the words of God, he chose to listen to his own heart and his feelings. And so tonight can really be boiled up in this one phrase when we're trying to learn from this. Does what you feel line up with God's word? Am I trying to be my authentic self or am I trying to listen and submit to God's authority and his word? When David submits to God's word, he's bold and confident and he's victorious. When David is listening to his feelings that contradict God's word, he's scared and he puts himself in a lose-lose situation because he chose not to listen to God. So the question does what you feel line up with God's word? And the only way to know if that's the case is to invest time into God's word. And I'm so thankful that that's what all of you have decided to do through this journey together. Let's pray.